But it is, uh, it is that time of year where we, we set goals. Um, it's uh, the New Year's resolutions are, are things that, that a lot of people do, and, and they find that it's actually a good thing to do that. And uh, some of you may have already set some goals for the new year. I know I have. I, I set a goal that um, uh, either one of two things will happen. I either want to lose 25 pounds this year or, or grow three inches. So. <laughs> I'm hoping for both, actually. It'd be really great. But uh, I want to tell the whole church I want to lose weight. That way, if I don't, you guys can shame me. You know, uh, Not really. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, they, they, uh, they do say that the, the, most popular, the most popular common goals, resolutions that people set are, uh, are usually to, to lose weight, uh, to exercise more, maybe save more money, uh, read more, travel more, take up a hobby, a lot of things like that. Um, and uh, hopefully you've set some goals, too, because they say that, that studies show that setting goals and having resolutions like that is actually a really good thing uh, because goals are designed to make us better. You know, nobody sets a goal to make themselves worse. That's easy. We can, we don't have to set a goal to make ourselves worse. Nobody says, you know, this year I'd like to uh, get in debt up to my eyeballs and see if I can clog a few arteries. You know, nobody really says that. We can do that without even thinking about it, can't we? Um, but we, we do try to, to set goals to make us better. And uh, I, I've come to understand that the term goals for the young kids, the, gen, the young generation can mean something even a little different. Uh, a number of months ago, my, my daughter had someone come to the house, a friend come over. It was the first time in our house. And she walked in and I overheard her say to my daughter, yeah, your house is hashtag goals. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And somebody had to tell me that that's, that is a good thing. That, that means, you know, it's something for them to strive for. You know, that's, that's something they would want to have someday in their life too. That's, that's goals. Uh, I, I guess using improper grammar is the, the wave of the next generation. So praise God for that, huh? Um, but you know, it got me to thinking because when I think about that, I think, you know, that that's really good because I, I want my life to be lived in such a way that people will look at my life and say, your life is goals for me. And uh, not because of my house or because of the car I drive or the clothes I wear or the, uh, how much money's in my checking account, but because I live a life that glorifies Jesus. That's, that's what I want people to see to say, yes, that's, that's what I want. I want what he has. Because they see in me that there is more to life than just living for yourself. And, uh, and frankly, that should be all of our goal. That should be goals for each and every one of us. You know, it's important. It's good for us to set uh, practical, physical goals in life. But it's also good for us to set spiritual goals. And we should, we should be setting spiritual goals for this coming year. You know, it's, it's, it's always imperative upon us to try to grow and to try to be better, to try to serve the Lord in ways that to take us to another level, not, not so we can prove ourselves to anybody else, but just to say, I just want more of God in my life. You know, we can, we can always read our Bibles more. You know, the Bible's the first thing to go when life gets busy. It's, oh, I'll just read it tomorrow, and then tomorrow becomes the next week, and next week comes the next month, and it's easy to push that aside, but we can always be in, our, in the Word more, you know, to co- or to commit to just sitting down every day and spending some time just talking to our Savior. You know, I'm going to spend 15 minutes praying every day this year just because not as a religious duty, but because I just want to talk to my Lord and hear his heart and, and, uh, and get alone with him. You know, and fasting, you know, we, as Christians, we should be making it a habit of fasting regularly. Jesus said, when you fast, he talked to us about fasting when he, when he was going to be gone. And uh, so we should be implementing that in our life too. In fact, we, we do a 21 days of prayer and fast every year. It was in the announcements a minute ago. And uh, that's going to start a week from tomorrow. Where we're going to ask you to, pr- to pray and fast with us for 21 days. And uh, so I would, be, I would encourage you to be thinking about that this week of what you might want to fast, what you might want to give up to, uh, to fast this, this January. And I'm sure Pastor Moe will be talking more about that next week, but really want to encourage you to, to be part of that and, and, uh, and join us in that. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, 
he had a goal that he set. And I'm gonna, this is gonna be my text verse for the day. The title of my message is just called Goals. And uh, the, the text verse that I wanna give you is out of Philippians 3. But before I give you that, I wanna kind of set it up. You know, Philippians 3 is where he talks about uh, putting confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. You know, because I did everything that a good religious person was supposed to do. And he goes on to say, you know, but all of that is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He said, I just want to know him to somehow attain the resurrection with him at the end. And that's what he's saying to the people. And then in verse 13, he actually goes on to say, 13 and 14. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul had, he set a goal in his life. And the goal was basically pressing toward living his life with the purpose that God had given him. That was the goal for his life. That was his spiritual goal, is to live in a way that he would fulfill the purpose that God had for him in his life. That's a, that's a great goal. We should all implement that goal into our lives. He says, I'm not, I'm not looking back. I'm pressing ahead. I'm pressing forward to attain this goal. And we can all do that in our lives as well. And what I want to do today is give you uh, a prayerfully considered a few goals, spiritual goals that I think we as a church could, could pursue this coming year. And uh, so I, I have three spiritual goals that I want to give us today that we can take with us that hopefully we will uh, uh, make a priority in our life in this coming year as we, as we step into 2019 and just like a day and a half from now. So I'm going to give you those, those three goals for 2019. And uh, the first one comes straight from that scripture I just read. And it is forgetting the past. The first goal for our year should be to forget the past. Now, that may not sound real spiritual, but it's actually incredibly spiritual. This is what Paul's talking about, forgetting our past. It's too easy for us to focus on the past and the things that may have happened. That, and those things can keep us down and keep us away, keep us uh, separated from what God really has for us in our life. Now, in a room this size, I'm sure a lot of you have had things in 2018 that have happened that you would like to forget. You know, some of you had some rough years. I, I know a lot of you, and I know a lot of you went through some things in this past year that you would like to forget that were, that were not good. And, uh, and it's important for us to try to not let those things define our future. It's, it's very important. Now, now when, I, when I'm talking about, like, forgetting your past, like if you lost a loved one, I know a lot of people lost loved ones this year. I'm not talking about forgetting those people. Okay, We don't forget those people. But what we're talking about is we're not dwelling on the negative. Okay? Even in death, there's, there's good. If, if, you're, if the person, the loved one you lost was a follower of Jesus, they're with Jesus right now. So there's good in that. We don't want to dwell on the negative because all that does is keeps us down. And see, the Apostle Paul writing this and saying this in his letter to the Philippians is actually really, really crucial. Because if you know this, the history of Paul, before he became Paul, he was actually, his name was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was persecuting the Christians at an epic level. He, he, the first time he's mentioned, he's holding the jackets of the guys that were stoning Stephen, the first martyr. And it talks about him taking Christians off into prison and putting them in prison for their beliefs. In fact, when he actually had his encounter with Jesus that changed his whole life, it was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to put people in prison, Christians. So you imagine when he got, when he was transformed and became somebody that loved Jesus and devoted his life to preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel. You imagine he had some thoughts at night where he couldn't sleep, where he was thinking about the people that he saw die for their faith or the people that he himself dragged off into prison. That'd be hard to get past in some situations, wouldn't it? And that's why he's saying here, one thing I do, I press on or I, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. So Paul's saying, okay, listen, you guys haven't done anything worse than I did. 
And if I can forget what's behind and strain on towards what's ahead, you can too. He's saying we need to forget the past and focus on what's ahead of us. Because that is where we're going to see God in our life and move in miraculous ways and in powerful ways. And we're going to be more effective for his kingdom and for his glory. Uh, there is a verse in Hebrews 8, 12 that says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God chooses not to remember our sins. He doesn't forget anything. God's, God doesn't, he doesn't forget, but he chooses not to remember. Because that's his heart for us, that he would not remember our sins. So if he doesn't remember them, we, we don't have to remember them either. Amen? Um, the, uh, the one thing Pastor Bowen says a lot is that the, when we drive a car, the windshield is a big window that we're looking forward to see where we're going. And the rearview mirror is just this little thing up, in this, uh, up at the top. There's a reason for that because we have to live our life looking forward. We have to live our life looking ahead and see what's ahead of us. We only spend a small amount of time looking in the rearview mirror to see what's behind us. And it's so important that what we do this, that we, we let the things in our past, let the mistakes of our past be a foundation so that we can use those for successes for our future. We're, we, we learn from our mistakes so that our future can be successful. And uh, I, I remember a story, I think I've told this before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's good. Uh, there's a, a pastor, Chris Hodges, a lot of you might know him. He's a pastor of the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, mega church. I think they have 40, 45,000 people. And he said one time that he was awakened in the middle of the night by the police. They called him and said, hey, you got to get down here. Your son, we caught him drinking. He's underage. And uh, we arrested him. And so Chris is thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I going to do? So he gets up, he's driving, and he says he's driving to where they were. He's thinking to himself, okay, I only got one chance to do this right. Only one chance to respond well. And so he gets there, and uh, one of the humorous parts of the story, he said he gets out of his car, and he walks up to the policeman, and the policeman goes, oh, Pastor Chris. <laughs> the, the guy goes to his church and said, well, that's, that's really great. The guy at my church saw, arrested my son. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And so he got into the cruiser, the back of the cruiser, with his son. And he looked at his son, and he said, son, now you did this but this is not who you are. And man, I thought that was so good that he responded in that way, that you did this, this is a mistake you made, but this is not who you are. And you need to learn from this mistake that you made. Let Build on it so that you don't make that same mistake again. You know, somebody said, if we forget our history, we're condemned to repeat it. We don't need to forget the things we've done in a way that we, we repeat them, but we, we build on them in a way that we can be successful in life. And his son is in ministry now and doing great. This was a number of years ago. So, uh, But God has called us not to remember the past, but to move on. And I think this does include a few different things. It includes our own failures. I'm sure some of you made some mistakes this year. And we need to be able to let it go. God doesn't. God chooses not to remember our sins. We need to, uh, 1 John 1, 9, I think, says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. He cleanses us. So if he's, if he's choosing not to remember, we can forget him too. Um, Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Again, a race is always run looking forward. If you're looking backwards while you're running a race, it's going to be comical. You're going to run into something. They don't run races backwards. They're always run forward. And the writer of Hebrews here is saying, throw off those things that hinder you. Those things that hinder you that he's telling you to throw off, those are your past mistakes. 
He's saying, throw them off. Get rid of them. Don't let them hinder your future. You know, you made those mistakes, but that doesn't have to be who you are. You can move forward. You can run the race with perseverance. Run it. That means you're, you're striving. You're going ahead. You're moving forward. And that's what God wants us to do. I think another way is, that, uh, is with others that have failed us. I'm sure a lot of us have had people that have hurt us this year. You know, that as long as we're alive and living on this earth and we're in relationship with people, people are going to hurt us. You know, we, we talk about it at the encounters that we do. We do these weekend encounters where we have sessions. And one of the sessions we do is about forgiving and how important it is to forgive others, you know. And we have this time of prayer and usually uh, most times, you know, the, the person will pray through and, you know, say, I've forgiven everybody. I feel great. I feel like I'm not holding any grudges, no, no resentment, no bitterness. And we always, you know, I, I usually try to warn them like, okay, well, you know, it's Saturday. By, by Thursday of next week, you're probably going to have to have somebody else you're going to have to forgive. Because that's just kind of the way life is, isn't it? It's not always huge things, but there's always somebody that can frustrate us. It's just how, how things go. But we can't let those things hinder us in our future. We have to be able to forgive. I mean, I'm not going to talk a lot about forgiveness today because we do it a lot. But it's so important. Jesus says, with the measure you forgive, that's how I'm going to forgive you. It's really just that simple. And uh, if we're letting others mistakes or things they did to us over the past year hold us back we're only hurting ourselves and uh and and for goodness sake please 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 don't feel sorry for yourself that nobody ever got better by playing the role of victim nobody we're, we're not victims we're more than conquerors in christ jesus and so we can live that way and we can walk that way because of what he did for us it doesn't mean what somebody did to you didn't matter or didn't really hurt but it means we don't have to stay in there we don't have to be victims of that situation we can grow from every, any situation we come into and then I think also something we need to, to leave in the past and forget is if we have disappointment with God from this year. Some of you probably have disappointment with God. If I ask for a show of hands, who's disappointed with God? Probably nobody raised their hand because it doesn't sound real spiritual. I can't be disappointed with God. He's God. But if I gave you some truth, sir, and before I asked the question, probably most of the hands would go up because we do get disappointed with God. And you know what? Here's the, here's the wonderful truth about all of that. It's okay. God's not offended when we get disappointed with him. Now, we can't stay in that state of disappointment. Well, he's not okay with that. The key is to not allow it to keep you there. But to be disappointed just means, all it means is that your expectations weren't met. We all have expectations for God in our life. We all do. We should. I'd rather be the person that has expectations that aren't always met because I'm not necessarily exactly in tune with what God's wanting in a situation and having to deal with disappointment than to be just that person that never expects anything. And it's just, it's just sitting there like a bump on a log, like, well, I don't care. It's no big deal, whatever. You know, God wants us to live expectantly. And as long as we're living on this world, our walk of faith is going to include some disappointment. And you may have been disappointed with God this year because things didn't turn out the way that you would hope they would in a situation, whether it was financial, relational, health-wise, career-wise, whatever it is. And it's okay to be disappointed, but we, don't, we can't stay there. We have to leave that behind. We have to forget the past because we don't want that to keep us from having our hope in God. Nothing should stop us from being hopeful every year that God's going to do his work in our life. And he's going to be faithful. And he's going to prove himself to us. So don't let disappointment keep you back either. So we forget the past. The second goal for this year is to choose joy. Choose joy. Did you know you can choose to be joyful? You can choose joy. I did it. Literally. <laughs> Worked out pretty well for me. She still hasn't figured out that she could have done better. If you don't know, my wife's name is Joy. Just a joke. Um, but we can choose to be joyful. We can choose joy in every situation in our life. And that's a great goal to have for 2019, isn't it? To choose joy. Look at the verse in Philippians 4, verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul. 
He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's repeating it for emphasis and there's exclamation points. He's basically yelling it. He's yelling it because it's so important that we understand that this is a choice that we have to make to rejoice. In this, where he's, the context of this verse, he's actually writing to the, the church in the Philippian church and there's two women in the church that are having a big disagreement about something. It doesn't say what it is, but they're having a, they're fighting. And he's trying to walk them through this. And in the midst of it, he's saying, listen, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Because rejoicing in our situation a lot of times makes a lot of the stuff we think so horrible kind of fall away. Because that's what God does when we choose to find our joy in him. We can see that. We see, we see victory in those situations. We can choose every day in every situation to be joyful. I love what the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon said about that verse. He said, what a gracious God we serve who makes delight to be a duty and who commands us to rejoice. Should we not at once be obedient to such a command as this? It is intended that we should be happy. That is a great, that's a great quote. He's saying, what a, what a great God we serve who's basically commanding us to be joyful, to have joy in our life. He, and he's saying, he's not just saying to do it. He's saying, I'll help you do it. That's who God is. You know, he gives us the ability to be joyful. Do you know, you know why we can choose joy? It's because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this walk on our own. We've got the Spirit of God that dwells in us, that helps us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We can choose all of those in our life, and he will help us do it. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, do this. He says, do this, but here, I'm going to help you do it. He comes in with us into every situation and helps us make the choices that will be a blessing to us and to him. Uh, it reminds me of a, a story that I actually told a few years ago from the pulpit, but it, it bears repeating. Um, Nike started an ad campaign back in 05, actually. It was a while ago now, uh, where they signed LeBron James to, to be part of this, this ad campaign they were doing, paid him $93 million to wear their stuff and be in a couple of commercials. Man, that's good money. I'd have done it for 10% of that. But uh, they, they hired him, and the, the whole premise of this, this uh, campaign was, we are all witnesses. You might remember it. They did a lot, it was a lot of commercials, all, it was a lot about witnesses. And the idea behind it was that basically, uh, those of us that are alive today, we have the wonderful privilege of being alive at the same time as LeBron James is playing basketball. And uh, he's this once in a lifetime phenom that uh, is so remarkable and so amazing. And we get to be the generation that sees it. You know, the, the future generations are just gonna have to watch him on videos, but we get to really witness it. You know, and the commercials even had stories of people that were literally testifying about how amazing it was to watch him play. And, and how, you know, there was one time he, he went to dunk the ball and he had to duck his head because he almost hit his head on the backboard. He was jumped so high, you know, and just talking about how amazing he was and a uh, wildly successful campaign, wildly successful. Uh, Nike got their money's worth and then some, I'm sure, many times over. It, it just made me think about, like, when, when Jesus was on the earth and all the people that witnessed what he did. You know, Jesus was, he was doing all kinds of things, turning water into wine. He's feeding thousands of people with a, a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he's, he's uh, raising the dead and he's healing the sick. He's healing the blind. He's, he's calming the wind and the waves. He's doing all these amazing things, you know, and then he dies and he rises, raises from the dead even himself. And I'm thinking, man, you, you have all these people that witnessed that too, how phenomenal 
that was for them. I, you know, there's a part where the disciples even are saying, wow, who is this guy? The wind and the waves even obey him. And they were blown away by how amazing he was, you know. And the, but, but the beauty of Jesus, you know, it, it wasn't just for that generation. You know, LeBron James is just for this generation to see him. The rest are going to have to see him on video. And, uh, and his, his talent's really great, but he can't give me his talent. He can't make me play like him. It'd be great if he could. But there's never in my life will I ever play basketball and worry about hitting my head on the backboard. Never. Unless there's maybe a trampoline there. And then I don't even know if it'd be an option. But that's nothing he could ever give me. I can ooh and ah, be excited about it. But that's it. But Jesus, he said, okay, so I'm doing all these things. I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to heal. I'm going to set people free. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to do all these things. And then I'm going to go away and I'm going to send my spirit to, for you so you could do the same thing that I did and more and better. How amazing is that? What a great Jesus we serve that, that he didn't just relegate himself to that generation. Amen. Praise God. It wasn't just relegated to that generation, but it's relegated to all of us. If we will give ourselves to him and we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit where it's overflowing, we have power to be his witnesses all over the world. That's a powerful thing. And you know, the Bible says that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to go to the cross and choosing joy. Now, did it make it easy? Did he skip and jump all the way to the cross? No. In fact, the night before, it says that his sweat was his drops of blood. He was so stressed about the situation. But he, it says that he chose joy. If he could choose joy in the situation that he went through, suffering one of the most brutal punishments that's ever been uh, recorded in mankind, I think we could choose joy in our situations too, can't we? We can choose joy, we can walk in joy, and be victorious in everything that we do. And frankly, at the end of the day, if we will just have a perspective of, the, of eternity in our hearts, we can choose joy in every situation. If we will, if we will ask God to give, me, give us an eternal perspective, like, Lord, help me to see that this life is short, that as the Bible says, it's just a vapor that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Help me to see that so that no matter what goes on here, I can know that in the end, I'm going to be with you. You know, if you've ever watched a game with your favorite team, like a championship game, a really important game, you know, whether it's the Braves, the, the Falcons, the Hawks, or, or the Bulldogs, whoever it is, well, you've never watched a championship game with the Bulldogs unless you were around in the 80s, right? Um, well, SEC championship, how's that? Okay. But it's a, it's a big deal, and it's a close game, and they're losing in the third quarter and it's getting stressful and you're biting your nails and you're freaking out thinking, oh, how are we going to do this? And you're nervous. And the kids come in the room and you yell at your kids for no reason just because you're upset about the game. And then at the end of the game, they figure out a way to come back and they win. And it's this glorious thing. And you're so excited and you're tweeting about it and you're telling everybody that'll listen about how great your team is. And it's so much fun. And then if you happen to DVR that game and you watch it again the next day or the next week and you know what happens, it's not as fun but it's also, there's no anxiety, is there? In the third quarter when you're losing, you're just kicking back, sipping on your tea because you know what's going to happen. There's no, the anxiety's gone. When we know the end, the anxiety's gone. So we can watch this whole game with pure joy because we know how it finishes. That's our life, church. That's our life. We can live our life with joy because we know in the end we win. We know in the end we win. This, this is literally the starting grounds for where we're going. This is our launching pad. That's all this is. 
And, and God would want us to be faithful in this time because, because the days are short until we're going to go be with him. So choose joy. And finally, the last one for today is more of him, less of me. I just spilled water on myself. More of him, less of me. Now that may sound cliche, but it's not. It's actually one of the most important things you'll ever commit to in your life is to say, okay, God, I want more of you and less of me in my life. Because that's a bold statement to make. Because there's lots of us, isn't there? Lots of us. We're born with 100% us. 100% us. And it's to get rid of us takes work, takes dedication, it takes focus. This, is, this actually comes from John the Baptist. Most of you probably know this, where he said, I must decrease so that he can increase. And I love, love, love this story because, you know, these, these guys come to John and they said, hey, they're trying to stir him up and cause trouble. They're saying, you know, that Jesus guy that you baptized in the river, he's over on the other side of the river now and he's baptizing and people are going to him. What do you say about that? <laughs> and John's basically, I'm paraphrasing here, John's basically like, thanks for the praise report. That's exactly what I wanted. He said, I told you I'm not the Messiah. I come to do what God has called me to do, to prepare the way for him. And he, then he says, he must increase, I must decrease. That was John's heart. There was no way to get to him in that situation. They couldn't rile him up because he, he knew that's exactly what was supposed to happen. Even though Jesus was kind of ruining his ministry, so to speak. And he was like, good, that's what I wanted. That was John's heart. But you know, that's also God's heart for each and every one of us. His heart for us is that there would be less of us and more of him. You know, sometimes we need to be reminded that God does not exist to meet every whim of the believer. The believer exists to glorify God. We get it backwards sometimes, though, don't we? We, we think God's here to do our bidding, when in reality, we're here to do his bidding. He will not share his glory with us. He absolutely will not do it. He wants to be glorified, and the only way for him to be glorified in our life is if there's more of him and less of us. But that's something we can only do if we are intentional and if we are focused on making sure that we live that way. And you know, there's, there's probably many ways in our life, many areas of our life that we could talk about where it's, there's probably more of me than there is of him. Whether it's in your finances, maybe, maybe there's more of you in your finances than there is of God. Maybe it's in your relationships, there's more of you than God. Maybe it's in your career, that you're so focused on your career and climbing the ladder and making more money and being wealthy that you, you haven't really allowed him to come into that situation. There's nothing wrong with climbing the ladder and making money. But we have, to be, we have to say, God, I want your will. Not my will, but your will be done. That is, church, that's my prayer every single day. Like, I feel like that's all I have to pray. Because everything else to me almost doesn't matter. I just, Lord, I just want your will, not mine. And wherever my will is in the way, get it out of the way. Show me what it is so I can move it. I don't want any of me left. I don't want any more of me. There's still way too much of me. God, I want you. I want more of you. Because I know if there's more of you and there's less of me, there's less of me to, to mess things up. Because that's all that me is going to do is mess things up. And that's God's heart for us is that there would be more of him and less of us. You know, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, he said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Another way to say that is more of him, less of you. Seek first his kingdom. Only one thing in your life can be first. You can't have three or four or five first things in your life. Only one thing can be first. And either God's first or he's not. It's, it's I, I mean, I hate to oversimplify it, but it really is that simple. He's either first or he's not. 
Now, and that goes into different areas of your life. He may be first in some areas and not in others. That's where we come to him and say, okay, God, more of you, less of me. Push me out of the way so there can be more of you. He will not share his glory. In fact, Ephesians 1.12 tells us that we were created for the praise of his glory. We are created to glorify him. We are vessels that God wants to use to fill to bring him glory. That was the whole premise behind Go Tell It for December. It was the whole premise was that we would live a life that exemplifies the life of God in us. And it would draw people to him. That, that was the premise of Go Tell It. That our, we'd live a life, we'd live in such a way that people would see that, wow, there's more to life than what I'm doing. There really is a God and he really loves me. That was, that, that's God's heart for all of us. One of the most popular, most quoted verses in all the Bible is in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will direct your paths. You cannot partially trust God and partially trust yourself and think that you will excel. Cannot do it. And see, part of, I think the biggest, 98% of our problem in life is that there's too much of us because we don't trust God. We don't trust him. There's there's areas of our life we just are not willing to trust him and say, God, I I trust you. There's just too many many areas where that's the case for us. We're all on this journey. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm saying this for me too. There's areas, whatever whatever that area is, you know it. But there's areas where we just don't trust him as much as we trust ourselves. It's very difficult for us to give him that. And it's so important for us. This verse tells us to lean out on our own understanding. A a few years ago, it, it, it dawned on me that this verse isn't so much of a command as it is permission. It's God saying, listen, you don't have to lean on your own understanding. You don't have enough understanding anyway. Just trust me. Trust in me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own thoughts or your own understanding. Acknowledge me and I'll direct you. Like that's so powerful. I mean, that, that, that verse right there is just, that, that could be a life verse that we would just trust him. You know, we have to, as believers, get to where we're okay trusting him even when we don't understand. You know, we need to be intentional about trusting, not understanding. And for those of you in the house that are analytical, some are more analytical than others. If you're analytical and you really want to understand things and it's really important to you to understand, like one of my children that just has to understand every detail of everything you tell them every time, God bless them. I would just tell you, you, you have to sometimes, you have to just squash that and say, okay, God, it's okay that I don't understand the situation. I don't understand why this happened. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to trust you. That's okay to do that. That's not a cop-out. That's actually strength because it's hard for us to be able to do that. The, the, the part of us, what we want to do is just put up walls and say, nope, that's it. I'm done. I'm not trusting. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to, and I don't understand why, so I'm not trusting it. There's always going to be things in our life we're not going to understand in there. Always, every day there's stuff that happens that I just don't understand it. But we can trust him. We can trust him, first of all, because he's sovereign. You believe that? You believe God is sovereign? We can trust him. He's sovereign. The Bible says that his ways are so much higher than our ways. They're so much higher. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that, church, that his ways are higher, that, his, that we can trust who he is because he's sovereign, even though if, if it doesn't make sense to us. We can trust him because of his promises. His promises are wonderful. We have promises in this word that we can stand on every day. 
He promised us that he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He promised us that, that for those of us that, are, that love him and are called according to his purpose, that he works all things out for our good. Everything he works out for our good. Even when we don't see it or don't understand it. We can stand on those promises. We can trust him. We can stand on his promises. Maybe he's given you a, a rhema word. Maybe he's spoken a word to your heart. That's not even necessarily straight out of the Bible, just a word that he's spoken to you about something. And if he's done that, you need to latch onto that like a pit bull and don't ever let it go. That's the promise of God for your life. You can trust him in that. If he's promised it and said it, it's going to happen. Because God, who is God that, that he should lie? He is not man that he would lie. He's God. And we can trust his promises. And I think we can also trust him just because of his goodness. We can trust him because he is so, so good. He's so good. In fact, there's a verse in uh, Hebrews in verses uh, four, or chapter four, verses 14 to 15. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, let me stop right there before I go into verse 15. Because I want to I mention something out of this verse. Because I think sometimes we can read through the Bible so quickly, we just miss stuff. Some really great truths sometimes, don't we? It says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That implies to me that if, if we got to hold firmly, that means there's something trying to pull it away. Isn't there? If, if we our faith, there's always things, there's always resistance against our faith. All the time. As long as we live in this world, there's going to be resistance against our faith. And when I read this, hold firmly, I, for whatever reason, I envision like be hold onto a rope in a tug of war. If you've ever been in a tug of war, you know, uh, like a camp day or, or a field day at school or whatever, or even in church activities, you've just been part of a tug of war, you know the worst thing you can do is hold that rope haphazardly because you're going to end up in the mud or the ditch or whatever's in the center, and that's not where you want to be. He's saying hold firmly to your faith. You've got to hold on to that faith like it's like with a death grip, like there's no way you're going to let it go. But that also means that there's tension against that rope. It means there's tension against that faith. There's things in your life that are always going to be pulling at your faith to try to get you to let go and say, never mind, it's not worth it. Always. Whether it's just circumstances that happen in this fallen world or if it's the devil himself coming against you, sometimes it'll be your best friend or family members, but there's going to be things in your life that are always going to be pulling at that rope trying to get you to just say, mm -mm, I'm done, I'm tired, I've had enough. And the writer of Hebrews here is saying, hold firmly to that faith don't ever let that faith go no matter what happens when stuff comes at you the hardest that's when you hold on the hardest that's when you stand firm and you say uh -uh, i'm not let go of this because this is life this is everything if i let go of this rope what there's nothing left all we have is our faith because jesus is our faith he's everything so he's saying hold firmly to the faith that we profess and then in verse 15 it says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Now, and here's what I want to point out in this verse. It says that he, we have a high priest that can empathize with us. A lot of people get empathize and sympathize confused. To, to, to sympathize with someone means to feel bad for them. You know, someone, when you go to a, uh, a visitation, you know, or a funeral, and you, you talk to the loved one that's, that was left behind, you say, you know, you have my sympathy. Because we genuinely feel bad for that person because they're going through something that we know is hard for them. So we feel bad. It kind of hurts our heart. That's sympathy. When you, when you feel bad for someone and, and you, you, you express that to them. But to empathize is to take it to another level. To empathize is to actually share in that grief with them. 
It's actually go into the situation and be part of it. And to say, not only do I give you my sympathy, I'm here with you. I'm going through this with you today. Maybe it's because you've gone through something just like it. And so you can really get into that situation with them and help talk them through it. Or maybe it's just because you just love them so much, you're just going to go in. You're going to hold them and help them get through that situation. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus does for us. He's not on the sideline when stuff happens to us, sitting there going, man, I feel bad for you, man. Hope it gets better. That's not who Jesus is. When, there's, when we're going through stuff, he's right there in the middle of it with us. He's there. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us. He goes through the situations with us. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can ask for more of him in our life. Because when he comes into a situation, when he's in that situation, and we know he's there, he empathizes with us. He helps us get through those situations. Jesus is in every situation that will ever happen in your life. You just have to know where to find him sometimes. He's in every single situation you ever go. There's never a time you've gone through something and Jesus just wasn't there. And he said, you know, he's on the state on the sidelines and said, man, I hope it gets better for you. That's not our God. Hebrews is very clear that we have a high priest who can empathize with every situation we're in because he was tempted in every way. There's nothing we can go through that Jesus would say, I don't know anything about that. I don't know what that's like. He's with us, wants to be there with us. He empathizes with us. And so if, if our heart's desire, if our cry is that there's more of him and less of me, we have to be willing to trust him. We have to be willing to trust him. And that's a difficult thing to do, to be able to trust somebody you really can't see with your human eye, but to say, God, I trust you because I, I know your character. I know your word and I know what it says about you. And I'm going to choose to trust you. And when we do that, there, it, there's, there's less and less of us. More and more of us just kind of goes away, just kind of fades off into the sunset because we're trusting him. So the three goals that I'm, that I'm giving you guys for the year that I hope you'll latch on to, I hope you'll uh, take seriously and, and focus on is to forget the past. Um, to, what are my other two? Choose joy and more of him and less of me. You guys think we can do that? I think those are good spiritual goals for us to, to strive for this year, to, uh, to make 2019 a really great year. Uh, not, not great in a way that our bank account swells or, or some of the superficial things, but great in a way that, yeah, yep, I, I'm, I'm closer to my God. I love my God more today than I do, did last year. That's, that's, a, that's a goal for me to have. I just want to love him more all the time because he's worth it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to ask the, the prayer team and, and, uh, and Steve to come. We're going we're gonna to close, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to. If, if you want to pray with, with a prayer leader, you just want to pray for anything you need, uh, I would encourage you to come. Let them pray with you. Or if you want to just find room here at the altar and pray by yourself, you're welcome to do that too. If you're here today, you would say, I'm not a Christian. I don't know. I've never made Jesus my Lord and Savior. I've never trusted him with my life. Can I encourage you and challenge you today to not leave this place without making that decision. We're never guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed 20 minutes from now. And he is the best decision you'll ever make. He's so worth it. He's so worth it. He changes lives every day. He changed my life. He changed countless lives of people in this church. And I would, I would encourage you that he is, he's better than you think he is. And if you give your heart and your life to him, you'll find that out very, very quickly. He will change you from the inside out, make you a new creation. 
as you give your heart to him. So don't leave today. You need to find a prayer leader to pray through that or find somebody on the welcome team, somebody that, uh, that, can, that can help you and, and walk you through that. I would encourage you to do that today. But I wanna, I'd, like for, I'd like for you to respond. I, I would like for everybody just to come to the altar that wants to pray today and just say, yes, for 2019, I, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to these goals in my life. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to choose joy. And I am going to ask for more of him and less of me. So I want, I want just all of you that want that just to come to the altar today, just to make a stand. And we're going to pray. I'm just going to pray over you. We're going to bless you for this year. And believe that God's going to do that work in your heart and help you to stand strong and to do to, to fulfill those goals in your life. So just, just come on up and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray over you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if my life can just bring him a little bit of glory, just a little bit of glory, it's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. I, I want my life. I, I want to, I hope that we would all live in a way that people would look at us and say, your life is goals. Your life is exactly what I would want to strive for. Thank you, Jesus. I do want to challenge you today that if you, if you desire to glorify God with your life, you're never going to do it accidentally. You're never going to stumble into glorifying God. We are, there's nothing in us as fleshly human beings that wants to glorify God. We want, we want to have things for ourselves. We're born selfish. We're born looking out for, for number one. You'll never just accidentally happenstancely somehow glorify God. You're going to have to be intentional and you're going to have to focus and say, I want my life to mean something for his glory. But if you do it, if you focus and you give yourself to God, he'll do it. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray for us. You guys will just pray with me. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you today, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you that we can trust you, God. Lord, I thank you that you've helped us make it through another year. And God, whether we had good things or bad things happen this year or a mixture of both, Father God, we want to tell you today that we're pressing forward. We're going to run the race moving forward, God. We're going to forget the past. We're going to choose joy. And we're asking you today that there be more of you and less of us in our lives. In Jesus' name, would you do that in every person at this altar today, God? We take a stand today. We're putting a... Uh, we're putting a stake in the ground today to say this, this is my goal for the year. This is my standard that I want to live by this year. God, I pray that, that whatever other goals we have, Lord, you'd help us to, to, to work hard at those too. But Lord, we ultimately we want to glorify you. We, want, we pray, God, that your name would be made famous through our lives. And that people would see you in us. That our lives would go and tell it. That would tell of the goodness and the grace and the love and the mercy of our God. We thank you today that you are that good and that we can trust you, Lord. Help us in the areas that we struggle in, Father God, to lay those down, Lord. We surrender those areas to you, whether it's finances, a relationship, a job, a career, whatever it is, family, whatever that is, God, that, that, that hinders us, whether it's a sin, an addiction. God, we lay those things down today. We lay them at your feet, at the foot of the cross. And we say, God, we don't want to pick them back up. You can have it. Lord, we thank you today that you tell us to take your yoke upon us because your burden is light. And we will find rest for our souls as we trust in you and we surrender ourselves to you. And God, I pray for that for everybody in this room today. In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Father. We love you. Bless your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen and amen.